Welcome to episode 21 of the Men Who Saved Football, the Dundalk FC fancast. This is a post-match reaction to our nil-nil draw with Bohemians. Guys, was that a point gained or two lost? Um, it's a bit weird. Before the game, if you listen to the last podcast, I was quite negative and like Martin was quite positive. And I think Martin actually had the correct outlook on the way the game would go. I was, I was genuinely fearing it. Um, and I think Martin made some really good points about how the fact that the game would be much more open. And that's how it played out. And actually, I think it was points lost because um, I think the way Martin Collett was right, which was Bose came out to play an attack and um, was much different to the Cork and Finn Harps game. It was a much different um, uh, lay of the land. So I think that given that we weren't playing against the Finn Harps Cork uh, 10 men behind the ball thing we were free to open up much more and I think um, it, it was a great game uh, I think Martin tweeted it was the best League of Ireland game this year or at least since the break was the best game um, and it made me think about something which is that uh, since the break I think you know, obviously the whole world is under this kind of strange malaise of what's going on but the league has been as well because none of the games have really been that free-flowing and stuff. But tonight was the most free-flowing attacking game we've seen. Two teams who have something, like, everything to play for. Um, but I think I think it's points lost because I think that, um, and we're all going to get into this, I, I assume now, but um, similar to the Cork game, we were quite comfortable on the ball. Uh, we were up against much stiffer competition than the Cork game. It was a much more open game. Much more opportunity for us to do our thing. You know, as in, remember we said, not 10 men behind the ball. But in that final third, we still just could not make that breakthrough. But I think if you look at, especially in the second half, I think it was points lost. Yeah, I kind of agree that uh, the game was much more open. I, I think the best thing about it was the high tempo. And I think whether it's because you just enjoy watching football, uh, you know, played at that speed, or whether you think about our preparation for European matches, like what we really need to be facing week in, week out is football played at, at that tempo generally. And so uh, I think both sides opened quite well, but we kind of got away with uh, Andre Wright missing an absolute setter from, you know, 12, 15 yards in the, the first half. And I mean, that would have affected the game a lot if it went in, I think. Not only as a Dundalk fan am I delighted that he managed to put it straight wide, but you know I think from the neutral point of view as well that if you you wanted to watch a an entertaining match, I think uh, two teams just going you know for both attacking uh, at a very high tempo uh, and trying to play the game very quickly and in a good style, uh, I think made it really entertaining for the the neutrals as well. Um, I'm kind of agree inclined to agree with Rory that it was two points dropped in the end. Well, I think Bose probably had the standout chance of the game. I think we engineered, you know, two, three really good chances. Uh, there was one in the second half where Michael Duffy flashed a shot wide from like six or seven yards out. He was kind of at a, a tough angle to, to try and score. But uh, that was a really good chance. And I think as the game wore on, Dundalk were the team in the ascendancy. I think in the second half, like Bose had one or two shots from distance, but like nothing that was going to ever really trouble Gary Rogers. And we always looked at the more likely team to win it. So from that perspective, I think, yeah, points dropped. Although if you'd asked me before the game, would I have taken a draw? Like the, the chances are I probably would have said yes. But again, maybe that was a, a sense of, you know, 
the way we played in the past 10 weeks or so, you know, a draw looked like a, a good outcome in this match. But if you actually looked at the, the way the game went, uh, I think we dominated. We looked like the superior side. And the longer the game went on, we looked at it, the more likely to win. So, yeah, uh, I don't know, a bit disappointed at the end. We looked decent. We thought we looked fast and quick. Nippy on the ball. Yeah, we were blessed that, um, that Andre Wright didn't put that ball in. I don't know how he didn't score. Um, when it dropped in, and when he didn't, which is great, and then yeah, missed the second half. But um, I thought like we were going to play, keep playing the way we were going to play, or we were playing, should I say, in the second half. We played the same way that we, we would um, we, we cracked them and get a goal, but obviously, we didn't. Looking at the pattern of play, the first 25 minutes, I think, was probably our most fluent that we've seen for quite some time. And it seemed to be Dundalk coming back to the way they used to dominate possession. And we certainly did that. And it became a kind of cagey game of Bowes sort of playing on the break. As you say, Andre Wright had that sitter that really could have changed the nature of the game. And also our, our old player, Keith Ward, was back with a very good chance in the second half. And that was sort of the pattern. Dundalk comfortable in possession, moving the ball over and back, looking for those opening. Bowes perhaps playing on the break or with the occasional attack of their own. But um, we did seem rather like the Cork game to find it frustrating um, without that goalkeeping error that Cork gifted us, which changed the game in our favour, we did go over and back and miss perhaps the precision and quality that was required in the final third to unlock their defence. Do you think, is that just a kind of a temporary pattern to the way we've been playing? Dominate possession, but find it difficult to unlock the, uh, the opposition's defences? Or are we perhaps missing the type of player in the squad who can really unlock uh, opposition defences? I think we've probably seen enough this season to say that this isn't just a, a temporary blip, but this is a, a limitation of the, the side as it currently stands. And I think maybe when it comes to Europe, that is a little less apparent because I think we're slightly more inclined to play on the break or, you know, kind of as, as the underdog. So it's less about trying to establish long patterns of play where we're breaking down the opposition kind of consistently. Um, but certainly in the league, I think whether it's, you know, Bohemians tonight who were more open and more attacking, but maybe a better quality, more organised outfit generally. Uh, or if we're looking at teams like Finn Harps or Cork, who've put, you know, 10, 11 men behind the ball at a time, we're really struggling to to unpick teams to create you know clear cut chances uh, and in every game we've created a number of half chances but the really disappointing thing again is the number of times that we've failed to hit the target uh, and I think whether it's you know strikers or, or wingers coming inside that you know finishing has been a bit of a problem this season too. Perhaps somewhat unfortunately a player that you've backed a lot Nathan Adua seemed to be making an impact when he came on but um, unfortunately, his game was cut short by what looks like an injury. And it seems that we did pick up a few knocks in the squad, which is the last thing you need when you're facing into such a heavy schedule. Um, how do you think the squad will be tested in what is now a, a, a crucial week for us, where basically we have a game coming up with Derry on Monday, who are, once again, tough opponents away from home. And then, of course, we prepare for our big game against Malda in the Europa League. Yeah, I think uh, that was one of the big down points about tonight. Definitely uh, tonight it exposed the big thing, which is that um, we're missing that creative spark in the in midfield. Um, that is the big thing, which I think is has is now apparent from the last few weeks. Um, as we've been playing, we've grown more confident in the old parts of our game, which maybe have slipped, but we're not, you know. Um, 
breaking through to that final third. And I think, as you said, Ken, sorry, it's the thing which is missing from uh, our general setup, which is we don't have that really incisive, creative play in the middle of the field. But compounded on top of that was, I think tonight, I mean, we all knew we're facing into this period. Evan kept saying it. A uh, game every three days, Dundalk's, strategy, uh, Dundalk's um, you know, uh, timetable over the next month. Similar to uh, 2016. And we all knew it was this big thing we have to compete with. But I think tonight really sharply focuses as you started. Even the players who finished the game, when they took knocks, the anxiety that ran through all the fans on Twitter and on WhatsApp was, was pretty bad. But then, you know, Adua, Kelly... Even like uh, Rogers taking a knock, you know, Hoban went down early on in the first half as well, and even just the panic went through everything. Um, that would be a big, big, big fear um, because we're, we're clearly missing elements in the team. And I think, as Martin said, that the last few performances are starting to expose what we might need to do for next season. We're definitely missing that central midfield creative thing. I think that's now clear. But if we're going to run into this crazy month with our ragtag bunch, um, it's injuries are like, I didn't even factor that in in a weird way. You know, we went, we're going into this thing saying, oh, yeah, a game every three, three days, a game every three days. But when you start losing players, that's pretty scary. I suppose that, that creative spark, which is the type of player, would perhaps bring us back to the way in which we were playing when we were at our. Arguably at our peak in 2016, when we were creating lots of chances, scoring lots of goals, like the stats bear out that we, we tended to be hammering teams that season and uh, goals were free-flowing from all our midfielders. Do you think that person, or such a player, do you think that person is, is around the league or would we have to look outside the league for that type of player? Well, this goes back to the conversation we had in the last podcast. Um, now, I'm going to say one thing here, which is I'm not the best person to comment on this because I, I, I would like to think that someone within the club knows that. But this goes back to the exact same argument we had at the end, which is, do we have people around the club that can spot them? Because, not to get too off topic from tonight's game and to probably, with you know, other discussions about the club in general, but this was the big thing about the last podcast, which was the director of football stuff, which was who knows that answer? Because, I mean, I'm a contributor. I'm a fan and I'm a contributor to a podcast. But I'd like to think there are people who know the answer to that. But in the last podcast, Martin did say it, and I think it's true. The really successful teams recently, and if we're going to talk about who's our rivals, Bows and Rovers, are feeding from within the league, Okay. And Dundalk's kind of pseudo thing of potentially looking outside the league and looking to Europe or America and beyond is one strategy. But the teams who are above us um, are looking domestically. So I would say that I don't know who, who the person is, but I would say yes. The player to unlock that uh, potential or advantage, I think, primarily still needs to come within the league. I agree completely. I think that the players need to come within the league because you bring players from the outside in and they have no idea what the league's about. It, you know, they're, they're good footballers. They, they can play ball, they get into the league. And I, 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 I'm on record saying it's a tough league. It's a really, really tough league. You need to know this league. You need to know, you know how physical it is and also how skillful it is, how demanding it is. 
and uh, bringing people from outside in, I always find it rarely works, really does. Or even bringing them across from England, like, I think it doesn't work. And what Vinny and what Stephen Kenny used to be able to do was just look at the league and look at talent coming up within the country. Players that were like really, really bad in, in the Irish soccer football kind of culture. And I think that's what we do. I don't know, you're right, Rory, I don't know if there's anybody at the club that's, that can scout and see what is around around the league like you know do we poach from those around us try and you know take players from other clubs like offer them bigger money throw money at it or you know do you go back and actually look at a really good talent that might exist even north of the border or uh, even in the first division or in clubs that are that are you know Sligo, Derry that type of thing you know we're trying to get players then to come to Dundalk after our really really turbulent um, season, like that's something. That's something else. Like, who are we even going to be left with at the end of this season in, in terms of our own players? You know, so there's a whole discussion you can have around that. But I think you're right. I think they have to come from within the league. I think somebody has to have knowledge of that. One of the things that we mentioned in the last podcast was, uh, you know, somebody talked about a, a throwback to uh, the end of 2015 or the start of 2016 when we brought in Robbie Benson and Patrick McElhaney, and. Uh, Honestly, you know, hand on heart, uh, I had heard of both of them beforehand. But if you'd asked me, you know, which players did we need to sign uh, at that stage, would I have picked out those two from in and around the league? Probably not. Like I was, I was aware of their existence, but it's very hard to tell. I think as a as a fan, when you look around the team, who is a promising talent in a poor side versus who is, you know, a, a reasonable quality player in a well organized side. And who's really going to make that that difference? And the margins, I think, particularly at this level, are so fine that you know it's hard to say. Like you're really taking a bit of a punt uh, on people's talent and their their attitude and things like that. And uh, I think even when somebody like Robbie Benson came into the club originally, he didn't play for quite a long time. Uh, there was you know kind of reports that maybe his fitness, you know, and kind of you know, his own approach to the game and that kind of thing wasn't up to the same standard as the the rest of the dogs got at the time. And it took him quite a long time to to kind of bed into that same kind of culture that we had at the club. And um, so it, it's very hard, I think, to look around the league and pick out like a single name here and there and say, like, they are the person who are going to make the difference for us. Um, because even if you do find that person, it may be a case of like integrating them over time and building them into the player that you want as opposed to buying somebody off the shelf who's, who's ready-made. I would say, Joy, on that point, though, is I agree with all of that. But then if you think about uh, maybe uh, Greg Sloggett and Dan Kelly, when they were linked to us, I think it's once the name is linked, you go, oh, yes, because we've seen them play against us. So I would agree. I couldn't tell you who out there may – we all know who the quality players against us are. But then when Dundalk were linked with Greg Sloggett, all of us were like, well – we saw him against us at Oriel, and we know his quality. And then Dan Kelly as well. Coming back to Robbie Benson, I, I think that was a phenomenon that pretty much everybody we signed, uh, it would have went through. You know, I have to defend Robbie as I was a, a big fan of his. But um, it seemed that every player Dundalk signed, when we upped that level of fitness that we, well, we had under Stephen Kenny, where basically we were, you know, hammering teams in the final 15 minutes, winning a lot of games late, in, in the in the in the game because we had superior fitness and we just seemed to be 
it gave us a competitive advantage over everybody else. It seemed almost everybody who joined Undock took their first six months to actually get up to speed with the level of fitness that the squad had. And Jamie I suppose McGra- Jamie McGrath was another one of those, I think. Mm. Um, and I suppose players are still developing, particularly at that young age when they're they're still physically filling out and they're doing lots of gym work and and all of that sort of stuff. So we do tend to see an evolution in in a lot of the players, particularly in their early twenties. But I suppose it's it's a kind of a it's, it's an almost fun uh, hobby for fans to speculate on who among their rivals would fit in. And I suppose we, we had a cameo from Danny Mandrew today, um, who has been out of the Bohemian squad for various reasons, with weird announcements over the PA and retractions from Twitter. But Danny is one of those players who's very highly rated, seems to be you know skillful. I think we saw little flashes of what he can do um, today. Now, they, they, oh, the rumor mill says that he's on his way to Shamrock Rovers. I suppose... Uh, He's, he is that type of player that Rovers seem to like, um, skillful, comfortable on the ball, got a bit of pace. Um, I wonder if he's intended as a replacement for Jack Byrne, if he goes over the water again. You know, it's easy to pick out these figures who are already in the league, but a really, a manager who's worth his salt, say like Stephen Kenny had with his encyclopedic knowledge of the league, you know, he was able to pull Pat Hoban from Merview and from and various other players like Richie Tal from from obscurity. Uh, well, when I say obscurity, from Bluebell United, um, and so I just wonder, you know, is that knowledge there in the club? Because we have dispensed with a lot of institutional knowledge by, you know, losing our well initially, I suppose, losing Stephen Kenny to the FAI, and then consequently dismissing Vinnie Perth, and then seeing all the coaching staff around him go along with along with the departure of Reynolds and Gill, we also had um, Rory Higgins going as well. So that's a lot of institutional knowledge which we had at the club now gone. And I think, like we've said before, it's going to be a real litmus test of where Dundalk FC are going as regards whether we can maintain the good players we currently have, but also address what seems to be now pretty clear areas where we're perhaps lacking a little bit of cutting edge in particular parts of the of the field. I think it goes back exactly to the it's a continuation of the discussion from the last podcast, which is if a director of football or any of that role is coming in, they're going to have to be a name that I think fans feel um, are aware of the league, because if someone comes in, actually, I think if you think about. I'm not going to start naming names here, but the names associated with the club last year who were officially part of the club and were involved in contracts and stuff, I guess, were not au fait with the League of Ireland. And I think we saw what happened as a result of that. Um, if another one of those come in, and I know like Filippo has come in and we're, we all wish him well, but if you get in a director of football or someone at that level, and they're not, if they're, if they're English or mainland European, and they have no evidence of experience uh, at, you know, League of Ireland level, that would be very worrying. Because as you said, um, Kenny, Perth, Higgins, all these heads, if you think about the, the team we established in 2013, 2014, and then the players we added over the years, the base of it, until Peak Six came along or just prior to Peak Six, was a League of Ireland-based team. 
if we're going to start some model where we're looking beyond the League of Ireland, um, I think that's a recipe for disaster. But if we're not, we need to get someone in who knows the league. I think there are some some pluses in the column too. Like I think the the fact that the players were all paid in full throughout the, the COVID situation, um, the fact that the, the wages available at Dundalk are pretty respectable and presuming that nothing changes dramatically in the meantime, that, that will probably stay that way for next season. That should still, you know, Dundalk as a club should still remain an attractive prospect uh, for, I think, the players who are at the club and for other players who might be available in the, the transfer window. Yeah, like I suppose for the sake of balance, it's worth probably reminding listeners that our first ever podcast with Gavin was about the topic of the takeover. And I was pretty clear that I was in favor of it because I think if you look around the league, my view is it needs capital. It needs capital investment. And that was something that we always struggle to attract. And I thought that, you know, if you need, if you want capital investment, you've got to deal with somebody like Peak Six or some other similar entity. And perhaps we saw in, in, in Cork situation where actually they changed ownership, but actually they changed it over to essentially a, a consortium who promised a lot, but could deliver very little. Now, you know, I think we had a diversity of opinion. I think most most of our listeners will know, Rory, you're very skeptical about these guys. Now, I, I, I have to kind of, you know, go with Martin there in that it is great for Dundalk FC not to have to constantly look over its shoulder and worry about paying the bills. And I think it shouldn't be forgotten that we can now pretty much compete with anybody else, whereas in previous years, um, we would lose good players to Shamrock Rovers or Bohemians because they had more financial muscle than we had. But I suppose um, it does bring us round to, you know, the pros and cons of the current ownership. And like I say, you know, we, we are not slow about discussing where we see their shortcomings. But I still think that it is possible for this to work out in that, you know, the... The, the league and the club does need capital investment. They have the capital to invest. But I just, we had another article come out today and it discussed, uh, it's an interview with Matt Holzeiser this time. Um, it wouldn't be an episode of this podcast if we didn't discuss Peak Six and the Holzeiser clan. And like I say, I, I think most people, most fair-minded listeners will say that this isn't personal. Like usually an owner or chairman, they're going to be a magnet for criticism because they're making decisions that everybody feels passionate about and there's going to be a diversity of opinion out there. Uh, but of course, none of what we say is really personal. It's just about where the club is going and if we are going to be able to maintain the success that we established in recent years where everything seemed to be done so right. Now, whereas Peak Six can bring a lot of capital to the table and they can allow us to be competitive in the transfer market, attract potentially the best players. What we kind of didn't really need from them was additional expertise in how to run an Irish football club because we kind of had that sorted. I mean, the Doc FC has been run in the past by many different people. Some of them ran it very competently. Some of them had great difficulty. Occasionally, a single regime had great success and also great failure within its tenure. But I suppose we're at not really at a crossroads now, but it seems to be that in this article today, Matt Holzeiser was expressing a sort of a, a plaintive tone whereby he was saying that, you know, they were essentially having to reconsider as regards their investment in the League of Ireland and it wasn't quite what they expected it to be. I mean, did you guys 
read that article and did, what was your view of it? Did its tone surprise you a little bit? Yeah, I, I, I found it very shocking, to be honest with you. I think the, um, the independent Dan McDonald article of a billhole sizer, which was the big bombshell um, weeks ago, to me, wasn't the bombshell because if you're a Dundalk fan, I think the bombshell about that was that the rest of Ireland found out about the stuff. But I remember we, we talked about it on WhatsApp that day. Nothing in the article, which was the big bombshell article that Dan published about the whole Dundalk saga at that stage, nothing shocked us because we'd heard all those stories. Would that be fair to say? Well, it, it, con- it confirmed a lot of rumours. And some, yeah. some, some stuff we knew, some stuff was rumours. But, when, but when, I you, guess, when you heard it on. from three or four different sources and they all essentially told the same story and published it, then, then yeah, it did, it did join a lot of dots that we were probably... Well, it was a thing. I think they, you know, the standard for newspapers is you need multiple sources to publish an article. So it confirmed what we already knew. The interview with Matt Hulsizer was a bit shocking because... In some ways, I mean, you said it earlier on, uh, Ken, like from day one, the very first podcast we did, I've been extremely skeptical of this crowd. And it's not like I told you so, it's just, it's always been my position. But I think um, there's always this wishful thinking, even with me, that ah, I can't be that bad or they're not that bad, or whatever. Even in the last podcast, we were talking about, you know, the decisions, the Vinnie Perth sacking, the meddling in team affairs, blah, blah, blah. But I always had this idea that maybe the higher structures above him uh, or around him, I shouldn't say above, around him would rein it in because it's their investment. But then the article with Matt, um, who is his son, so there's obviously that emotional link, um, to me it was a bit shocking because it displayed, for instance, a bit of his, I think, uh, naivety about certain aspects of what they're involved in. Um, a bit defensive about his dad. On the surface, it exposed a bit of naivety about um, the Irish situation. In the interview, you know, he complains about Irish bureaucracy, right? And can I, can I also say that, generally speaking, Ireland is not considered a hostile place to American capital investment. Sorry, that's my point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I like, agree. Like, like generally, um, now I know that uh, PIXX probably haven't come to this through the IDA route or anything like that. But generally speaking, if you turn up with capital investment, there are multiple state agencies and arms of the state who kind of welcome you with open arms and give you all sorts of incentives. What, what, what puzzled me a little bit about the article, and like I say, you know, I know you're pretty skeptical about these guys. I am... You know, I'm worried about some of the stuff that came out in the press in the James Roder- James Rogers article and the Daniel McDonald article. I, I, you know, I think we have seen enough written to know that there was significant interference in the playing side of things, which, quite frankly, I just think we don't need when the boardroom begins to do that. I think in any, regardless of the personalities, that's usually bad news. But looking at it from a kind of investment point of view, basically, you know, you might be skeptical and we mightn't have agreed with, say, the departure of Vinnie Pert. We were pretty much passionately in favour of Vinnie being given longer a longer period of time. But if you if you look at it from their point of view, they've got us to the Europa League group stages, which 
they, they can point to as a massive success and a justification of the decision. Filippo is, I think, pretty popular. He's like we've warmed to him. I think the fans like him. He's he's something of a winning personality, and he is restoring the confidence of the team and performances and moving us up the table. What looked in July as a really kind of difficult. And, and dire decline in our fortunes has sort of been turned around from their point of view. We're still wishing them success. I mean, I'm delighted we're in the Europa League group stages. Um, I'm wishing Peak Six to succeed and bringing Dundalk FC to the next level. But when I read the article and you kind of get these rather plaintive uh, tone of it, like, you know, essentially, I think, uh, Matt Holzheiser seemed to say that, well, the quote from the article is that he's dis- disillusioned with the bureaucracy in Ireland, can't quite understand why the associations aren't more cooperative, um, and is very defensive of uh, his own father's role in the club. And I just wonder, like, to me, you know, they took a massive gamble in changing the management regime and dispensing with all the institutional knowledge and a league winning manager and picking a complete unknown who had never managed before. I mean, to me, that was an absolute spin of the roulette wheel. And it just so happens that that gamble has paid off and they're in the group stages and we're getting millions in prize money for it, even before we've kicked the ball. In that circumstance, I might have expected a little bit more optimism and perhaps a kind of a swagger from uh, Matt Holzheiser, but he, he doesn't seem to think that this is success enough or that it's satisfactory enough. And he's talking about the return on investment being less than perhaps they projected. So I'm just wondering, like, I mean, for me as a Dundalk fan, I think getting to the group stages of the Europa League is something of a miracle because it only ever happened to us once before. And that was when we had the now national manager and a squad of players who were at their peak and played exceptionally well and had, you know, a lot of good fortune to get to that level. So I think, you know, the probability of an Irish club getting to the Europa League group stages is quite a long shot. And despite everything that's happened this year, the peak six run Dundalk has got there. But if that isn't enough, if that is something of a disappointment, I just wonder what exactly were the Hullsizers expecting for their investment? I don't know. I cut from, from the, the article today I actually thought it was quite negative, um, you know, reassessing the league because we are because it's not in great financial straits. Then he goes on to talk about, you know, wanting to, you know, invest in the basically run the Aviva Stadium that didn't work out. Then he wants, you know, he talks about investing, uh, approaching Loud County Council and going in with with the GAA that didn't work out. And then it's you know everything just seems not be working out. But I was actually when I, when I when I read the article, I was kind of left with bitter taste. And I was kind of going, this sounds like an exit, an exit statement or a pre-exit statement. I mean, I, I just thought that the art that had lost that had lost kind of I don't know lost interest in a way. I I mean I wasn't as, as skeptical as you were really at the start. Okay, you know I really welcomed and I still welcome their involvement. I just think I, that they've taken their eye off the ball, and I feel that we're in a little bit of limbo at the moment. I know we're, we're looking at the Euro, um, Europa League, and it's absolutely, I can't wait for it to start. But I still think behind the scenes, there's that kind of a disconnect. I'm just wondering, one of the things that I'm a little bit curious about is nothing really, I know we've had a mad year, COVID has disrupted everything, but nobody would have told Peak Six, or I don't know if they would have got the impression 
that the League of Ireland was a rich league with lavish prize money and attendances of tens of thousands in state-of-the-art stadium. So, I mean, I think we were, it was quite transparent what sort of environment they were coming into. Now, I always thought the logic of investing in us was we are the cheapest route into the Europa League uh, or into European prize money that you're likely to get. For relatively small investment, you get a, essentially a lottery ticket. You get a shot at getting into Europe where big prize money can be made if you're fortunate enough to get to the group stages. I mean, that's happened. For me, you know, this is, this is success on their investment. I, I wonder, like, did anybody give them an impression otherwise that they, like, they thought that the league would, you know, give them more than it's giving them? Because I have to say, I mean, if that's the impression that they had, you know, if if they were as financially savvy, and it seemed to be like a very, very successful fund. You know, I, I think we love the league. We, we're absolutely kind of fanatics for it. We, we take great pride in following our clubs and we love to go around the country, you know, um, playing our rivals. But if anybody took us aside and asked, look, I've got money to invest. Do you think I'll get it back investing in an Irish club? If we were being honest, we would probably say, there are probably safer investments out there. But if you want to come in and invest in a league, have some fun with it, um, become, become emotionally invested in it and enjoy it from that point of view and run the risk of perhaps not getting all your money back, this is something that you can do. And when you've got a fund of 23 billion, you know, and you want to do that, that's it. That should be the context you do it in though. I mean, if we're expected to do more than get to the Europa League group stages, I'm not quite sure if the guys have kind of got their, got the whole concept right of investing in a League of Ireland club. If you're investing in the League of Ireland, the FAI, and you're now complaining about that stuff, you haven't done your homework. You know the swamp you're getting into. I mean, I agree with everything you've all said, but I think that they're totally naive, um, totally distracted from the reality. And... That interview was really disheartening because it seemed like, Damien said it seemed like an exit strategy. I think um, he was laying the groundwork for getting out. Anyway, there's so much commentary on Twitter, by the way, about different strategies, about how the Aviva was their big play, how a franchise was their big play, how a European feeder club was their big way, whatever, right? But that interview, Damien hit it on the head, right? We are... Like, we're in the Europa League. It's actually positive. I know um, COVID-19, I know the league situation, as in we're not going to win the league. There's a lot of negativity. Vinnie Perth was sacked. There's a lot of negativity. We are in the Europa League. That is amazing. For the second time ever, no Irish club has ever done that. We uh, drew Arsenal. That's going to be amazing. All this good stuff. His interview was so negative. I think Damien, it's... It was such a downer when it could have been a positive spin on things. Do you think it's possibly, no, I don't wish to flatter us that it's directed at us, but do you think it's possibly a coded message to say, perhaps you guys should be a little bit more grateful for what we're trying to do for you? Oh, I think, now I'm, not, I'm never going to claim it was our podcast, but some of the comments about his, um, about uh, Bill, were definitely reactions to reactions, if you know what I mean. And like I say, you know, 
this should be dreamland for us. We're, we're backed by a entity with more financial muscle than you could ever dream of. It should be able to solve all Dundalk FC's problems and make us the ultimate version of ourselves that we can be. It's just a shame if this kind of begins to get, uh, to become distracted by sort of, um, I don't know, like, I mean, basically Peak 6 prioritizing involvement in areas that we didn't need help in, such as the footballing side of things, which, like I say, we had pretty much sorted out. And perhaps then, you know, picking fights with associations and bemoaning the lack of partners for capital investment. I mean, that's what they bring to the table. It's the capital. And I, I, I appreciate that, you know, it's easy for us to say, spend your money on us, but that may not necessarily be what they, they want to do. But I suppose if we bring it back to the original point, I mean, it looks like Loud County Council doesn't have the money that Dublin, uh, South Dublin County Council had to build Sada Stadium. Uh, it looks like the political groundwork hasn't been done to get government funding for it. It would be great to have a modern Talis-style stadium in Dundalk, but we know there's complications with the ownership. But I mean, you know, I, I'm not expecting these all to be solved and them to build us a brand new ground, but... I mean, they've got the capability to do something. And I think it's probably about time that they look seriously at working those channels, those political channels, those funding channels outside of themselves to see what, what can the state do? What can local government do? What, what is the situation legally regarding the ground and its surrounding area? and What plan can we come up with? And I think that would be a much better avenue for peak six to direct their energies down rather than getting too involved in the footballing side and stepping on the toes of our coaching staff i, I would much prefer if, if they went back to the old original of you know we're not going to invest in the ground because we don't you know what i mean we want to we want to bring the team to europe every year rather than giving us the you know kind of you know we tried to you know aviva and we tried this like just go back to that we play our home games in oil park We'll make it a better facility for away supporters, for home supporters. It doesn't have to be, you know, Europa League sta um, standard. Tal is only, you know, 50 minutes down the road, 60 minutes down the road. If Bose get their stadium, it's not too far. And I know this sounds a bit defeatist, like, but they have the money and they have the investment to put into the team. They have us in Europe. That is absolutely brilliant. You know, um, I'm not ungrateful. You know, um, I, I, I'm delighted that we are where we are. It's absolutely brilliant. A lot of people giving out about, you know, where well, we should have a stadium and, you know, Oriel Park should be the same at Tala. Eh, no, sorry, it shouldn't. We've got 30,000, 40,000 people living in, in Dundalk. Okay, we're not in the middle of Tala. Tala's like, like another Dublin, outside Dublin. You know, and half the people in Tala, you know, I mean, not even half the people, not even a fraction of the people in Tala go to Tala to watch Shamrock Rovers play. They come from all over Dublin, they come from all over, all, all over wherever, okay? That we, they, should come, they should come out playing and say, look, it's fine. What we're going to do is we're going to aim for the Europa League, if that is the plan, every year. And we'll play our games in Tala or we'll play them in UB or, or whatever it is. I just think that this year, it's been a lot of kind of like, you know, well, we tried this and they said no. And we, we offered this and they said no. You know, just knuckle down to the business. And the business is football. I don't think Peak Six care about a long-term stadium for us. This is, I think, the elephant in the room that people are dancing around, right? They're not, a bulldozer will never roll into Oriel Park as long as they're around. 
because they got three million for a European game without having to do a thing. They filled in the pothole down at one end of the ground, but they got three million. In a way, they're quids in. They're they're rubbing their hands like comedy cartoon capitalists because they. Why would they have to lay a brick? They just got three million. But in fairness, they they were quite upfront about not investing in the stadium first off. And I'm, I, I don't mean to go on and about it. I respect it. them for that. I don't mean to go on about it, but they seem obsessed with the Aviva Stadium. And once again, it's mentioned in this article about a plan to play games there, not necessarily European games. And once again, that raises the specter of this franchise model. Now, like I say, I think investment is needed. I think Peak Six provide a better source of investment than many other clubs have gone with. Because you know, if you look at if you look at England, you have to begin to wonder where some of the money for some of the clubs is coming from. But nonetheless, like I would love them to get involved with renovating Oriel Park. I mean, every regime that was there tried to do something to improve the facilities that we have. And you know, if they require partners for that, if they require match government funding, like I would like to see them just get on with the work that has to be done there. And if the answer is no from the government, then the answer is no, but at least you've tried. And we, I think we would all, nobody expects a brand new shiny 10,000 all-seater state-of-the-art stadium, much as we might like it. You know, if they don't get the cooperation from other agencies, I think it's, it's, it's not an outrage that they decide not to build an investor capital in, in, in facilities. But I, I, what, I, what I'm curious about is why they seem so obsessed with other people's and why the Aviva Stadium and ownership of it and investing in it keeps on coming up. Uh, because this is coming from their side of the table. It's not, a, it's not an observation we're making. Um, so, look, I mean, it, 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 I suppose it's, it's a little bit of a, a question of what the legacy is and what their expectations are. I mean, I think it's possible for them to be successful. I think it's possible for them to even turn it around and convince you that no, they are the guys no, for the job. No, all right, no. all right. Maybe you'll never be convinced. But I think it's possible for them to really drive forward Dundalk FC to become, um, a, a, like I said, the, max, the, the best possible version of a club that you can be in a town our size with a fan base our size. I think it's, it, it's entirely possible for them to be successful here and to leave a great legacy. And I hope they do it. But reading that article, do you think that the legacy is going in a different way and okay. that these guys might not be around in the longer term? Ken, if I like, I accept what you're saying as in as an argument. Not that I believe it, but I, I accept the argument as in it's a worthwhile argument to put forward. You're saying that the the project is a worthwhile project, right? I get that, okay. But I think definitely Matt's interview this week pulled the rug under that because I've always been against it from the start. So you know, let's not attempt to claim that I'm being um, uh, unbiased here, or whatever. I've never believed in that model because I've always said that, um, not to put words in your mouth, but it's the, that the, uh, a rising tide raises all ships, right? Which is that if they invest, the Dundalkasi do well and we do well, okay? That's maybe it, right? But I think they have no interest in us. There's, they, 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 they do not care. That's my big worry. Which but is why... But why would they invest in us if they had no interest in us? Because here's the thing. 
capitalism <laughs> has a lot of spoofers. We always assume that investors, and I'm not, I really don't want to uh, condescend people here, but if an investment fund comes in, you assume they know what they're doing. But capitalism is awash with absolute chances and spoofers. That's how capitalism works, right? These guys could be losers, but, I, but I, losers in the big sea of capitalism still have a bit of money, which is more than the League of Ireland. Yeah, but I, I, don't know, I don't know how convincing that is when they're sitting on top of 23 billion in funds. And... You, can, you can see you're sitting on top of anything, Ken. Well, actually, I'll throw back in your face then, Ken. If they're that accessible, we are nothing to them. Why are we important if they're sitting on that fund? Well, I'll tell you the truth, what I want if from... You're saying, if you're saying we're sitting on that massive fund, mm-hmm. we are a dot. We are a, a speck of dust. Can, can, I, can I bring you back to life not terribly long ago when basically the, 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 the sort of ability of the club to open its doors was compromised by direct debits for the insurance bill bouncing and just just let me finish okay. and, fr- and frantic phone calls being made to try and shuffle together enough cash to make sure phones weren't disconnected and the electricity wasn't switched off now this is life without a rich uh, somebody who can basically write a check to solve problems and it, you know what I'm saying is, you know, like it's a, look. Let's acknowledge it's a classic discussion as to whether capitalism works. That's something that you know, football podcasts. I don't think our audience are too interested. Okay, and we can have that. But but what I will tell you, a capital does is it gives you money, and money solves a lot of problems. And it isn't so long ago that you know, the likes of yourself, myself, and Damien were rattling buckets uh, in supermarkets. Yeah. And going door to door in Oaklands and Green Acres trying to sell raffle tickets yeah. to hopefully get enough together by the end of the week to be able to pay a, a team in the first division. Now, that's life without investors. And well, 2014, right? Okay. Hmm. We got investors. Yeah. And... We were invested in, but they weren't investors. The the investors we got in 2014 and 2013 cared about something other than what our current investors do. So for you, it's it's emotional. You want somebody who cares more than somebody who has a mountain range of cash. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, I would like us to do the caring because we're fans. We'll do all the caring the club needs. But what I want as an investor is somebody who has a mountain range of cash who has the financial firepower to basically allow us to keep our best players sign everybody else's best players and to have a big enough squad to be competitive on all fronts and quite frankly if we were totally forgotten by the Hull Sizers and Peak Six and they kind of you know it was one of those kind of little investments that fell down the back of a sofa somewhere in their offices in Chicago I'd be perfectly content with that as long as we basically had the investment I don't require the caring because we'll do all the caring in my in my view I just worry uh, that you know if we if we lose if we lose the financial um, backing that they give us it essentially means that you're going to go back to a situation whereby 
you know, players might emerge at Dundalk, but then be picked up by, you know, like look at it this way: Shamrock Rovers now have substantial investment of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other clubs, although they have other models. I mean, it was not uncommon for us when we came back into the Premier League to have a good player for a season or two, and then to see them signed to, you know, one of our own domestic rivals. I mean. Right now, we don't have to really worry about being out-muscled domestically for the best players. If we can identify them, we go go after them. Right now, because of Peak Six's presence, we can get them. And going back to a situation... like Also, a lot of our success pre-Peak Six, you know, we have to remember, we did seem to have a lot of it built by an exceptional individual, which in Stephen Kenny, who was sort of the talisman that brought that squad together. A squad who were not, you know, high-priced, big transfer megastars. They were players that he galvanized into an all-conquering force for very little money. And I know then that success attracted investment. But I, I, I just wonder if we were to go back to a pre-2004 ownership setup, essentially to, to lose a lot of our financial muscle and also be without a Stephen Kenny figure, then you know what happened last time? We ended up in the first division. I mean, I think that's the risk of, you know, in the pros and cons column, the risk of having a different form of ownership or a domestic form of ownership or a less well-financed form of ownership is that the trapdoor to the first division might beckon you once again. That could, that could easily happen. Yeah, I mean, that, that could easily happen. Do, do I think they care? I think, I think they do care. I think that... You know, I think that that they do care. I just think that the decisions that were made this year and with the whole COVID thing, I just think it put them under an awful lot of pressure. And I think that um, when I say they do care, I don't think they care like worry cares, or like I care, or like you care, Ken, or like that if anybody listens to this podcast, I don't think they can talk supporters. They don't care the same way as we care, because how can they care about the same way? About, about the same way? But... Yes, Ken. I, I mean, I have to agree. I think, like, as I respect Rory's point of view. And I, you know, you said that from, from the very beginning. I wasn't a skeptic. Uh, I wasn't a skeptic. And I wouldn't say I am a skeptic now. Um, but I just, I do think that, I don't, I do think we're at a crossroads. You asked that, Ken. And yes, I, I do think we're at a crossroads. I, it wouldn't surprise me if in 12 months or in 24 months we were starting to see. Peak six were we're gonna kind of move move out from you know move away from from the club. Do you not think that um that this interview has not? Do you not think honestly, genuinely, Ken, that this interview has not, you know, uh, you know, bolted down this idea that they really don't care about us? Well, you see, like like I said before, perhaps I'm less emotional about who's actually owning the club. I mean, if we, uh, to, to me, uh, an owner, an investor, they provide investment. I, I, whether, they, whether they are emotionally invested in the club, I, I'll be quite frank with you. I, I'm, I don't care nearly as much as I whether they're financially I, invested. I, 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 and I respect that opinion because it's, it's, it's a well thought out opinion. Anyway, listen, right, let's talk football. Okay. Yeah. We've got Derry City coming up on Monday. We had Daniel Kelly retire through injury. We had Nathan, looks like he uh, retired through injury as well. Don't know how bad that was. Now, I suppose, weirdly, tonight's result will look a lot better if we get a win on Monday. How do you think things are going to play out on Monday? And how do you think our 
our adventure in Europe, if it actually goes ahead, because we seem to have COVID closing in all around us and regulations could get, you know, throw that fixture into chaos. But a big week ahead, how do you think we'll do in our two fixtures? Yeah, um, it, it's really hard to tell because, as you said, tonight, uh, injuries, which is the big worry we didn't want. To. But Adua and Kelly going off, that's pretty worrying because I think they're going to have to be very cynical and really look at the fixture lists and look at third place. Yeah, like, I suppose when, when you look at it, like we've got 22 points, 14 games played. Derry have 14 games played, they have 16 points. So, like, I, I think he, un, unfortunately, he has to rotate. And, you know, he's not going to play for a draw. He doesn't know how to play for a draw. That's not, it's not that he doesn't know how to play for a draw. It's not in him and it's not in the player. It's not in the way they play to play for a draw against Derry. So, I think he put out, like, um, a second kind of string. Now, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I mean, he put out a second uh, team. He will rotate. And then I think then if he can if he can have a strong starting eleven on on Thursday night, hope that we get something from that. But I think I have to agree with Rory. I think yeah, like even if there is no statistical um, model or mathematical model to look at later later fixtures and see how you're getting on, like reality, like you want to play your best team every in every Europa League game. That's what you want to do. So looking at next week, yeah, you'd be holding back the best eleven for. For a Europe game, and you'll be playing, you know, a rotated team against Derry, and you'll be hoping for the best. Well, I suppose it's going to be a big week for Dundalk FC, and we'll have our fingers crossed that not only do we get the performances and results that we're all hoping for, but that in a current environment, even the games going ahead would be something of a bonus. We will be on TV. Hopefully, it's going to be an opportunity for the nation again to get behind Dundalk FC as. Ireland's club in Europe and maybe we might get to see some of that kind of uh, good vibes we had when basically the whole country got behind us like they did in 2016 